I try really hard to not apologize for my human expression. I tell people never apologize for crying, never apologize for expressing how you feel. I say that to our kids all the time too. And that's really important because people who come into my circle, I don't want them to feel guilty about the feelings that they're currently feeling in that moment because I want them to own it. And if I'm the one who's saying I need to own my feelings, I also need to own my feelings too. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Sasha, your host of the BBXX podcast. So I wanted to introduce a bit of a new series of interviews we're doing. While the coronavirus pandemic has presented us with an infinite number of obstacles, it's also presented us with an opportunity. And while we can't go outside, we are being invited to look inwards instead, to connect, to reflect, to learn more about ourselves, and to recognize how much our relationships matter more than anything else. And I think that is probably one of the most beneficial lessons that we can learn from all of this. And so as we're faced with this obstacle and this opportunity, we've decided to launch a series of Instagram live interviews to help us stay connected to you, connected while we're at home, and while we're all having this fascinating global shared experience. We're launching this series first, but we're also planning some other exciting content releases from short format audio to more casual discussions, as well as some IGTV videos. So be sure to tune in on your preferred platform or how about just all of them? So stay tuned for announcements on the BBXX podcast and stay tuned on our Instagram at bbxx.world. And if you don't already, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter where every week we send out tons of amazing content recommendations, the show notes for all of our interviews, a Q&A article, and lots more. Today, we will be having GoFit Joe, Joanne and Carnacion, join us to do the first of a fun new series we're going to be launching using the 36 questions popularized by the New York Times. If you're familiar with the 36 questions that the New York Times made famous, it's 36 questions to basically fall in love with somebody. And it came from a scientific research study in which they took strangers and they had these strangers answer these three sets of 12 questions each. It starts off kind of on the lighter side and they get deeper and deeper. And basically the point of it, as there was this great quote that they said, one key pattern associated with the development of a close relationship among peers is sustained, escalating, reciprocal, personal self-disclosure. And so according to the research studies, that was kind of the recipe for intimacy, we'll call it, for developing kind of feelings of love, not necessarily romantically, but that that closeness and 
Yeah, intimacy. And so we're going to be taking those questions and doing a series with some of the people who've been on the podcast. Some will be new guests and some will even be friends. And if any users, any of you guys, any followers are interested in being a part of it, you're welcome to contact us and we'd love to to chat with you as well. All right. Well, we will start with a few of the questions from set one and we'll kind of just wing it. I'm going to start with it's from the lighter set, which okay. surprised me, but it is take four minutes and tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. All right. So four minutes here. My life story. I was born in New York, Queens, actually. My parents moved here when my mom was eight months pregnant and she wanted to go through New York because she was trying to cross the Ellis Island. Like that was her whole dream as an immigrant woman that she wanted to pass through Ellis Island uh, when she came to the U.S. And so I am the youngest child out of my family. Uh, My brother and sister are eight and 10 years older than me. They were born in the Philippines. So I'm first generation Filipino-American. My parents moved out to California roughly when I was about four or five because they just couldn't deal with the winters. We're island folks. So, I mean, being in the cold winter is just not something that we're born to do. Growing up, I mean, like as an immigrant child, I think, you know, most immigrant kids, we learned how to survive. You know, my parents came here with nothing. And I grew up with very busy parents that were doing their best to provide us with what they could and the means that they had. My brother and sister didn't move into the U.S. until I was about 10 or 12 years old. So my first like real memories with them that were significant weren't until my like adolescent years. And that was a real big challenge for me because they felt felt like they were another set of parents, especially in that generational gap and that cultural gap. Them being raised in the Philippines, me being raised here, we just butt heads a lot. So there was definitely a lot of fighting and arguing growing up, a lot of misunderstandings just from cultural and generational perspectives. And so my upbringing was in a lot of eyes, really, really rough, I would say, to like a more Americanized or Westernized mindset or mentality or perspective. But, you know, my life was very much the common life of most immigrant kids that are growing up here or or children of immigrant parents who are growing up here. My brother and sister disciplined me a lot physically, unfortunately, but that also meant that we had to really learn how to work through our issues as a family in a much more, I guess, unique or unconventional way. And so, you know, my, my brother, my sister, when I was 15, called the cops on me for starting a fight with my family. And it really was like not even a fight. It was like me just asserting and taking up my space as a teenage kid. But since their generational and cultural gaps are so different, they saw that as just me being disrespectful in their eyes and not the way that a traditional Filipino kid should be raised. And so that was a blessing in disguise because that whole situation set our family on a a road to getting mental and emotional help through therapy, which was really amazing. At least it was amazing for me. My parents were still very much so the traditional Catholic, Filipino parents who didn't believe in mental health or emotional therapy. They were very much so in the mindset of like, let's pray away any kind of emotions. And I think that pretty much set the tone of me being the rebel or the fighter in my own life of just trying to really navigate my life in the best way possible for me. Because I knew that what they were trying to raise me with didn't feel authentic to me because it wasn't in alignment with who I am and who I, I was. And also in my culture of America or my Western culture. 
that pretty much like set the foot of who I became as I got older. Then I met my now partner 18 years ago. We moved in, had our first daughter at, well, she's going to be 16 in May, actually. Since then, we pretty much were single-handedly trying to raise kids in our 20s while still trying to create a career and life for us which was really, really difficult and really challenging. And one of the things that I knew right off the bat when he and I decided to have a family was that I wanted to raise my kids with the emotional support that I didn't get when I was growing up because I knew how important it was to connect on that emotional level because as a as a child that's pretty much all I was screaming for was emotional connection and emotional support and it's not that my parents didn't want to give it to me it's just that they didn't know how to they weren't raised in a kind of cultural generation that was taught the value and importance of someone's emotional well-being we've been raising our two daughters in that sense and then career-wise I've been everything from being a hairdresser for 10 years to working in tech for six. And now I'm a woman's life coach as well as a social media influencer. So I've really kind of gone through all these different stages of my life career-wise to lead me to where I am today. That was a little bit longer than four minutes, but hopefully that's my life story. That's okay. That's okay. I didn't want to stop you. No, I think... I love the idea of being the rebel in your own life, which you you briefly mentioned. And I think all of us, whether we realize it or not, and if people don't realize this, I think it's important to, are trying to create the things we didn't have growing up, mm-hmm. you know, be it emotional support, be it connection, be it, you know, a safe space physically, mm-hmm. emotionally. And so I think that it's important for us to recognize what we didn't have and empower ourselves to seek that out rather than repeating those patterns or going the opposite way and being bitter about it, but making the conscious effort to create those things we we didn't have and have an empty space or or need for Mm -hmm. and to create it, whether it's for our family or for other people. It's where BBXX came from. (laughs) So, okay, perfect. The next question, would you like to be famous in what way? So I thought this one was interesting coming from somebody who has built such a large following. I've never sat to think about what my definition of fame is. Mm. So I'm not sure what your definition of fame would be, but I thought it might be kind of interesting to hear your opinion. The question I'd like to replace that with is what is the legacy you want to leave behind? What is the legacy or what do I want to be known for? What what do I want my kids to be telling other people about when it comes to telling mm. the story of their mom? Like how her, their mom walked this earth? The thing that comes to mind for me is that I want to be known for somebody that has created space for people to explore their own authenticity in a safe way that kind of explores the dark sides and the messy sides and the bright sides. I just want to be known as somebody that has given opportunity for people to be able to explore their fullest expression of themselves in whatever capacity that means. How would you define one's authentic self? I mean, I think like, you know, I think this like pandemic is beautiful in so many different ways. And one of the ways I think that it is kind of beautiful is that we are seeing a level of human expression from different people that we would have never really seen before. What I mean by that is you have somebody who appears have always been like this go-get this like really type A looks like they have all their shit together and all of a sudden they're like you guys like the shit is crazy it's like falling apart and you kind of see them in their own humanity so that's what I think I mean in terms of authenticity like to me being authentic means living in your fullest expression of your own humanity or your own human expression where we can come to full acceptance of who we are in terms of the way we express ourselves 
that to me is authenticity. This concept just popped into my head of the default self Mm. and that this whole stopping the world and especially for some people who aren't able to work anymore or with everything being different, other sides of them come out, these different versions. Some of them are kind of more fun, creative or other people more stressed or other people just a bit lost and desperately trying to fill their time with whatever they can come up with. But when you take away all the noise, all the hustle and bustle and busy work and busy talk and FOMO activities, you know, what's the default? What do you do when all the rest of that stuff that takes up a huge amount of your bandwidth time and energy wise normally, what's your default self that comes out in that new environment? Yeah. I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah. Next question. If you were able to live to the age of 90 and retain either the mind or body of a 30-year-old for the last 60 years of your life, which would you want? I think the body. And the reason being is because I would love to be able to capture all my life experiences and memory all the way through to 90. I want to have the mind of somebody who's gone through those experiences. And then by 90, I'm hoping that I could be able to like share those experiences still. But I would want that. I, I, I'd want to retain, I'd want to retain the 30 year old body just so that I can keep my mind evolving all the way through those years because there's just so much more wisdom to gain. If you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? I think the one thing that I would honestly change was the fact that my brother and sister lived in the Philippines in my younger years. Because I would have wanted to create some of the memories that I see our daughters have at that age right now. I I don't have a bond with them. We respect each other. We love each other. But they're not in my intimate circle. That, That saddens me to a certain degree. But it also is one of those things where, as you mentioned, the sustainability part, we came into our lives, they came into my life when they were 20 something. And I'm still like 10 years old. They're already out the door in terms of family and wanting to develop a relationship with their sister, regardless of the fact that we're family. It's like they're ready to like be an adult in this new country. Yeah. yeah, so just that. Um, I think I would have loved to like just experience what my brother and sister would have been like as kids. It would have been fun. Yeah. What do you value most in a friendship? And what does friendship mean to mm. you? Friendship has so many different levels to me. I think because of my line of work, I have the ability to get really deep with people on an intimate level because of just as what I do as a coach. And so that I think I always cherish. But in terms of my friendships, I value pure transparency and no bullshit. I want them to come to me in their ugly and darkest and brightest moments too. Like I want to see all of them. I don't want this whole like, how are you doing today? And they're like, I'm doing great. But the reality is on the inside, they're like all jacked up, you know, like I want to know them for what their current state is at. So to me, that's that. And then in terms of friendship, what do I define with that? Well, I think because I didn't have the closeness of family that you see so much on like media that's being like represented in media of just like this close-knit family. My friendships to me are like chosen family. They are my sisters. They are my brothers. They are people that I lean on in a way that, you know, if I couldn't lean on family, which I mean, in some ways I can for certain things, but in other ways I can't, I'm going to lean on my chosen family. I love the comment you said about wanting your friends to come to you, you know, in their most difficult or ugliest times and their brightest or best times equally. Mm -hmm. And It's so interesting because immediately I thought, well, you know, when you are at your darkest, whether it's, you know, passively completely depressed or bawling, crying and screaming kind of in this lost crisis mode, 
I don't think I ever really call people at those darkest times or there be two people or partners or mm-hmm. a certain friend, best friend, which might evolve throughout life. But there are no more than ever, I'd say probably three people that you could actually call at that time. But that's when people do want to hear right. from you. They want to know how terrible you are so they can help. And yeah. if you don't tell them they won't know. But then there's also those best times when something really great happens. We often then underplay how bad we're doing. And then we also sometimes underplay accomplishments or exciting things, either because we didn't want to build up too much to it without knowing if it was going to work out or not. And then after the fact, you don't want to sound too excited about it or bragging, but really needing to own our own wins. How can we make more of an effort to really own those low points and own those yeah. high points yeah. more and expose ourselves in those times to our friends who want us to do right. so. Oh, okay. Well, this isn't one of the uh, New York Times questions, but I love that somebody submitted yeah. one. So the question that it's that lean, mean mommy machine asks, do you ever feel guilty unloading on those people, even if you would expect a friend to feel comfortable doing that with you? I'll, I'll speak on my... Because because I have been working really, really hard in the last maybe year. I mean, it's been a practice of asking and receiving help. I'm the kind of person that just is not asking and receiving help. What I've had to do is lead by example by a unloading on my friends and know that we have created a friendship that has enough safety and a container that I can unload in that capacity. And then in terms of the guilt... One of the things that have been useful for me is instead of saying, I'm sorry for like dumping on you, I actually say, thank you so much for listening to me. You have no idea how much that means to me. So rather than like placing this notion that's something that you should feel bad for, I'm grateful that you have the ability and capacity to listen to me. I try really hard to not apologize for my human expression. I tell people never apologize for crying, never apologize for expressing how you feel. I say that to our kids all the time too. And that's really important because people who come into my circle, I don't want them to feel guilty about the feelings that they're currently feeling in that moment because I want them to own it. And if I'm the one who's saying I need to own my feelings, I also need to own my feelings too. And so rather than feeling guilt, I express gratitude because the reality is you you don't feel guilty for sharing all your shit to them or unloading. You wanted to do it. That's what friends are for. The the quote you said, never apologize for human expression. I think that's incredible. And like we said, if it's the highs or the lows, maybe it's crying, maybe it's uncontrolled ecstatic excitement. Youthful enthusiasm is one of my favorite qualities in any human ever. Mm -hmm. And I think we lose that a lot as adults. So I would just love for somebody to call me up a friend bursting with uncontrollable excitement about something that happened, a small win, a big win, anything. I, yeah, I think we kind of need to tap back into that humanness and unfiltered youthful emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Going off of what Lean Mean Mommy Machine's question is, one of my sisters calls me a lot to unload. Mm. 
And I think as partners, as friends, one of our biggest mistakes is we Mm want to try and offer solutions. And every time, I think I'm getting a lot better at it. She goes, you just need to be here to listen. I don't want you to give me advice. (laughs) She gets really, she gets really (laughs) upset with me, but that's our instinct is to fix it. But I think making that clear in the beginning to the other person, Mm -hmm. it still is an emotional weight to let somebody unload onto you. But when they know their job isn't to fix it, and actually you would prefer if they do nothing Mm -hmm. to try and fix it. All you have to do is sit there and listen. And then, you know, we can move on. We can talk about something else. But you have zero responsibility of figuring this out. Right. That, I think, can also help the the dynamic and and kind of simplify it a bit. Yeah. And maybe take some of the pressure off yeah. that might otherwise come with that. Right. The guilt sometimes is created when we feel like someone else has to take responsibility for our shit. Right, right. Right. Or when we feel like we can't fix somebody else's shit. Right, right. And the reality is we're not designed to fix other person's crap. Yeah. <laughs> we're designed mm-hmm. to fix our own shit. <laughs> other people can yeah. support that, but it's not their job to fix our shit. Help them explore it. Yeah, for um, sure. For but, sure. Mm, Neither is there generally one solution. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there was another question which we can throw in there. Yeah. It was, do you believe in saving sex for merit? Why or why not? So here's what I tell my daughters. And I had sex with my husband prior to marriage. And I had sex with a couple other partners prior to my husband. Our daughter was born. I got pregnant before I got married. So I don't have an opinion on that, whether one is right or the other. Like to me, it's a personal choice of whether somebody wants to choose to save sex for after marriage. I also think it's also really important to kind of think about what is your definition of sex? Because for some people, sex might mean intercourse. For other people, sex might mean finger play. It might mean anal. I love that idea of what is your definition of sex? And then we go back to like Peggy Ornstein's proposal that what if losing your virginity was actually the first time you had an orgasm, for example. There are all these really different ways to define it. And so here we have from Lean Mean Mommy Machine. She said, I got pregnant while planning my wedding, LOL. Whatever you feel you are ready for mentally, just make sure you're mentally ready. And I think that's that's a huge thing. I was having a conversation actually with my 16-year-old daughter. She called me one day and she was like, so mom, my friends and I have been talking about sex. I was like, great, load it on on me. Like, I am really excited to hear this from you. And I'm also like really honored as a mom that my near 16-year-old totally, daughter yeah, this is, my first thought. is like, open to sharing this conversation with me, which means that I've done my job of creating a really emotional safe space for that, which Mm -hmm. I'm like, fuck yeah, you know? But anyways, I was telling her my thoughts on sex before marriage and all that stuff from a parental point of view. And I said, look, babe, to me, sex isn't required for love and love is not required for sex. Some people are going to want to have sex before love exists in that combination because they want to just try it and they want to see how it feels like. We can't pass any judgments just because our perspective or our view on things is different. However, people want to go about their sexual choices or their sexuality or their sexual freedom or their sexual exploration should be based on what a person's personal choices are because it's it's tied into their identity as a person. And if we yeah. place any kind of shame into that or any kind of opinions that might sway them one way or the other, we might actually destroy or just dent someone's identity a little bit, which is going to cause them to kind yeah. of rethink who they are based on somebody else's culture or belief systems. So, you know, I think to answer that question, it is a little bit more complex because I don't believe there's a right answer for that. I don't believe that sex is required to be saved for after marriage or vice versa. It's all a personal choice. 
what is the greatest accomplishment? So now we left off with that friendship question. We're in set two of these three sets. What is the greatest accomplishment of your life? I mean, I honestly think right now the greatest accomplishment of my life was probably having that conversation with my daughter. Oh, also, so that that's one of them. But the other little accomplishment that what I thought was really hilarious was, I mean, obviously we're all in this like stay at home situation. So we're not only work from home, we're school from home, everybody is home in our house. And our 15 year old, nearly 16 year old daughter, her name is Iris. She wanted to go play video games in the living room. And that living room wall is the same wall of our bedroom. We told our kids like, hey, you know, mom and dad need an evening to just be without any of your voices. Like we're going to be in our room starting 8 p.m. Don't come in here unless it's an emergency. You guys are already fed. Everything is done. So our daughter comes in and she's like, can I play video games? And we're like, sure. But till what time? Right. And she was like, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, what time? Because me and your dad here, we're trying to hang out and connect. Right. And she goes, trying to get into it. (laughs) She goes, okay, you guys can have sex after 1030. All right. Like I want to play video games until 1030. I mean, the video games are probably pretty loud. I mean, yes, but maybe it's a barrier. But it's also one of those things where as a child, you just don't want to be part of that. Right. Like you don't want to have any part of that. I think the fact that in our household, there is this mutual and beautiful understanding of relationships and that there is there's a dynamic of my relationship with their dad that has all different parts of it. Like they don't just see us as parents. They also see us as a couple and as a unit, as partners, as sexual partners, as romantic partners. And they know the importance for us to be able to nourish all those parts of our dynamic so that we can be the best parents to them as possible. So I think to me that has been some of my greatest accomplishments is just being able to raise a family where everyone is able to talk about their needs and their emotions so openly so that we know how to support each other. That is like solid to me. So yeah, it's been really great. And I think a lot of people can relate. And for example, here in the comments, I don't know if it's Joey or I'm going to go with Joie. (laughs) Her name is Joanne, um, actually. She was one of my clients. Joanne. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we have a comment here that says one of this person's greatest accomplishments was coming out on the other side of our son's mental health odyssey, both as parents and husband and wife. Probably a lot of parents can relate to feeling some of the deepest sense of fulfillment in parts of their lives, moments, experiences, odysseys tied to their children and their children's growth, understanding, safety, and all of that. And so shout out to that. Lean Mean Mommy Machine says, what is a good age as a parent to talk to your child about sex? Is the age different for boys and girls, you think? Actually, I was asked this the other day through DM, and we've talked about this before, Sasha. I think sex education should be given to kids as early as possible, but age appropriate. What I mean by that is your child is, let's say, under the age of give or take eight or nine, and depending on their own maturity and their own exposure to relationships and people and what they've seen, I think one of the easiest forms of sex education that can be provided at the time is just teaching body autonomy and body anatomy and what are all these different body parts and what do they actually mean and the differences between body parts from boys and girls and labeling them in the proper scientific name. And the reason why I think it's important to label them in the proper scientific name is should an unfortunate event happen where your child gets in a situation where there's sexual assault, that they can actually express what happened to them in a very clear way to any adult. 
We did a great podcast interview called The Birds and the Bees, all about when to talk with kids and in what way and how soon you can start. And the reality is it can start as early as possible because the base of all good relationships, of safe sex, of good sex, this trust, respect, vulnerability, you know, these are huge themes that have nothing to do with sex and have everything to do with sex. What is your most treasured memory? That's a hard one. I think that's a hard one for me because I treasure I so many of There's them. There's one, yeah. There's so many of them. There's another one. It's what's your most terrible memory, but I wouldn't want to go into what that. <laughs> I feel like that one's a bit of a weird. And that, that's also good. hard for me because I always have a way of looking at terrible things with such light. Right. But I was going to ask, what's maybe a hard or difficult memory or experience mm. That has become important that you think has has shaped you that you've kind of gone back to. Yeah. So the the one that actually comes to mind, even even in the question that you'd asked, like what's the most cherished memory, was the one where me and John, my partner of eighteen years, finally had a sit down conversation, and it was brutally honest. This was almost like two years ago, where he asked me, "Are you still in love with me?" And I said, "I am falling in and out of love with you," and that was like the hardest truth I had to acknowledge to my partner to just say, you want the truth? I'm falling in and out of love with you. It's like, Mm -hmm. and and that happens, I think, all the time in relationships. But when I said this to him, I was like, I am like halfway out the door of this feeling of like out of love. I, I view love so differently. Like I don't view love as just a romantic aspect. So when I think of love and when I express that, and he knows this. So when I expressed like I'm falling in and out of love with you, he knew that it was like, holy shit, she's scraping the bottom of the barrel if she's falling out of love with me. And that to me was one of the most cherished memories and also eye-opening memories for both of us because we had to really then sit down and go, what is it that we both are putting into this relationship that is causing this much disconnection? And that's when the work really happened. And I think oftentimes couples think that they have to do the work together and that's it. And that's the, that's part of the equation. But what they don't realize is that they have to do the work on themselves individually and together mm-hmm. simultaneously. And that's when things for us really started to progress in this way that I think and I want to say that people have witnessed us over the last like year and a half, two years. And they're just like, oh, my God, your guys' relationship is so amazing. And I'm like, you have no idea the amount of work that we had to do on ourselves individually and together simultaneously in the same lanes as we're working towards something. Yeah, because that's what builds the foundation. One of our other IG lives we did was... With my friend Tyla, and she was talking about how before deciding to get married, even though she'd been with the same person happily for, you know, 10 plus years, was she didn't want to commit to this title of we and risk losing a part of her identity before she felt like she had it a bit more solid. And so it's about really having a stronger concept of I before combining those identities, but then continuing to develop that I throughout. Super important. Thank you so so much for joining us, Joe. And thank you to everybody (laughs) who tuned in. And we look forward to continuing this conversation in the coming days. Yeah, thanks, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for asking those questions. Bye. Yes, (laughs) thank you. Keep them coming. Talk to you soon. Bye, babes. Bye. 
Thanks again for tuning in and be sure to follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world for exciting updates and even more fantastic content. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, shoot us a text at 1-415-888-4742 or shoot us an audio, which we love, at that same number on WhatsApp. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and remember, I'm always here learning a ton myself right along with you.